Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hi, this is James Jokum, host of Webcomics Reviews and Interviews. Tonight, we're talking legal issues. So sit back, relax, and let the Geek Fest begin. Alright, first off, the obvious disclaimer. I am not a lawyer... I do not practice law, and anything I propose in this webcast is essentially just advice from one person to another. It is not legally binding. Yeah, I know. It's the audio version of a big, big fat caveat, but hey, it's got to be thrown up there anyway. Basically, you can't use this advice in the court of law. This is just general advice based off experience, a lot of discussion, and... Way too many late night conversations on Facebook. So, with that said, expect us to cover a lot of ground. It's going to be looking at copyrights. It's going to be looking at parody versus satire. Um, We're looking at fair use. We're looking at libel. And we're looking at the problems of ownership. So, there's a lot of ground to cover. And I should be able to cover it relatively shortly. So, let's sit back and enjoy and... Feel free to make fun of me at your leisure. Alright. The biggest problem with dealing with any kind of... Well, you have to look at your webcomic as a work of art. And in order, like any other work of art, there are certain variations on protection you have to be aware of. All these protections are pretty much covered under copyright and trademark. The big difference is that whereas a trademark will cover very specific images, such as characters... Um, branding, that sort of thing, it doesn't cover the webcomic as a literary work. That's where copyright comes in. So what we're looking sort of here is that when it comes to, if you want to deal with your, make sure nobody can um, do anything with your characters that you don't want them to do, you're going to have to trademark each individual character. That's just an unfortunate part of the business. On the other hand, the work as a whole can be copyrighted and provide you with other rights under the law. Not the least of which is that if somebody should infringe upon your rights, you can seek um, civil restitution from that person or from that entity. Uh, real quick, let's talk about person versus entity just so we're clear on that. Under the law, Usually a person is the same as an entity. That is, if you're looking at McDonald's Corporation versus Joe Smith, for all intents and purposes, with the exception of how they get punished, they are considered pretty much equal. Obviously one of these is going to have much better lawyers, that sort of thing. But the bottom line is, is that for all intents and purposes, the two are two separate entities under the law. This is established way back in the uh, 15th century under English law. And you have to keep in mind that uh, America and a lot of our legal system is based off the English law. So the idea is corporate as a 
actual entity under the law has a lot of case law to back it up. So, just be advised that if you go after a corporation or if you're going after a person, you're basically going after a specific entity either way. Sort of a minor little detail to keep in mind. But when it comes to a lot of conversations, it's a nice little shortcut. Um, and it comes down to it. You as a person have a right to copyright your law. Under American law, the two really cool things about copyright is that one, as soon as you're finished with a work, it's considered copywritten at that point. To what degree a, a work is finished, it depends on the person, or more accurately, it depends on what you're doing. Individual comic strips, for example, are considered copywritten as opposed to an entire comic book, which is sort of cool because that means that you can co- each individual strip of yours is copywritten, and it's done as soon as well you're finished. Done as soon as you're done and over with a with a comic strip, however you want to define it, and trust me, I've seen some pretty weird definitions. It's copywritten. If you want, you can put that little C with a year and whoever you are and let it go at that. I mean, but it's not all that necessary. If somebody actually decides to try to do something with this thing, they're going to have to show that they were the author, which odds are you probably already have a way of setting up. The biggest way you can protect yourself, obviously, is to, well, copyright your works under the federal government. In fact, that's pretty much the only way if you want to have it accessible at the federal level. It involves a quick little process. Um, You're going to have to look at the actual copyright laws in order to determine how much it's going to cost you. But the important part for our conversation here is that it's pretty much the only way to get federal protection. In other words, if you decide to go after somebody in court, it's the only, the absolutely only way you basically have of actually demonstrating all, you have all the rights to that particular work. This isn't to say you don't have a lot of other protections under the law. That's just essentially the most effective way of dealing with the situation. Unfortunately, it's also the most expensive. So, if you possibly can, every so often, you know, Try to spend a little bit to actually copyright your work. It can actually save you a lot of trouble in the long run. Especially in terms of, you have, you know, contentious idiots, that sort of thing. So keep that in mind. Um, something that needs to be noted is the so-called copyright. The entire concept is that you take your work, put it into an envelope, put a stamp on it, and mail it to yourself. And then you don't open it. If anybody tells you that this is an effective method of copyright, don't listen to them. They're morons. Period. This is arguably one of those really nifty myths that sounds really, really cool. I mean, after all, there's if it's sent back to you, obviously, you know, it's going to be, you, they have to prove the seal was broken. It's going to show that whatever it was, was in fact yours. And it's going to create some really cool ironclad evidence, right? No. Not by any stretch of the imagination. Um, 
The biggest problem is that it's only going to show possession, not actual authorship. That is, it's going to show that at one point in time, you controlled physically the property. That's it. It's not going to demonstrate that you actually wrote or that you actually drew or that you had anything actually to do with the creation of this property. It's just going to prove that at one point in time you had physical control over it. In order to show the actual authorship, you actually have to go through the, through the federal copyright. The other problem is that whereas you might consider the envelope to be inviolable, actually a lot of people don't. An envelope can be easily steamed open and made it look like it was never affected even if you're doing some sort of fancy seal. Um, on top of that, the big important part, which is the time, the date stamp that shows when you had control over the property, well, that can be smudged. And even a little bit of a smudge can create some, you know, can totally invalidate the poor man's copyright. As I've said, it's no good in federal court, so let's repeat that just to make sure you're aware of that. You show up with your poor man copyright into a federal court, it will be tossed. As far as anybody can show, there's been actually no proof that this has actually worked anything better than a state-level court. So, there is that to consider. On top of that, because we are dealing with the internet age, which pretty much anything is instant, even if we're talking like you have done a speedy delivery, you know, you've paid the extra 10 bucks, it's still going to take a little bit of time for the poor man's copyright to to go out and come back to you. Given the way the internet works, there's an entire possibility that somebody could actually be putting a claim on your work before it comes back. Again, there are ways to timestamp the work digitally to prove your point, but poor man's copyright isn't going to help you out here. So the bottom line here is, if somebody's telling you that the poor man's copyright is the absolute best way to protect your works, yeah, they're morons. Ignore them. The only way to do an effective, an actual legal copyright is to take it and register it with the federal government. And, just because I am a nice guy, obvious caveat is that if you're in Britain, the PMC might be able some use to you. And I emphasize, might be. So, you know, if you're in Britain, hey, go for it. But anywhere else... Yeah, this is not going to be as useful as you think it is. So, um, all I can suggest is that if you really, if you're really, really paranoid, yeah, register that baby. If you want to do it a little bit cheaper, because instead of copywriting into individual strip, as long as you can do register within five years or so, you can actually it becomes a lot more effective in court. Um, one of the neater ways to do it, obviously, would be to put it as part of a trade paperback. So if you can do something like that, hey, you're cool. I mean, you're saving all the ridiculous amount of money because instead of saving strip by strip by strip by strip, plus having to file all that paperwork strip by strip by strip by strip, you've got, whap, one nice little book that you've nicely registered with the copyright office. Check it out. I mean, like I said, it's going to be along the expensive side. But if you yourself are a popular author, or if you've got something really cool going on, it may be worth looking into.
Um, and also, like you said, if possible, trademark each one of your individual characters. You know, you're going to have to basically trademark a slight range of poses with them, as well as different costume changes, but that may be worth it, especially if you got some really cool stuff going on. So keep that keep that little bit of legal ease in mind. Um, another issue that keeps coming up is fair use. Fair use is this really cool concept that essentially allows people under certain situations to, well, I'm going to keep using the phrase, but sort of allows you to sort of ignore copyright to a degree. And I'm sort of emphasizing that to a degree. In essence, the idea was is that because we are a nation that does like free speech, um, it was decided there's sort of a fair use doctrine in case law that essentially covers the use of copyrighted material when it comes to education, critique, and parody. In essence, if you're using your somebody else's property in order to make an educational point, cool. If, or especially if you're doing it under research and you're publishing your findings. Again, you're going to run over this through a lawyer, but you do have some coverage in order for you to co essentially copyright those works as part of your bigger work. But the ownership still belongs to the person with the original copyright. You're just essentially borrowing it. You can also use the other people's work as critique. In this case, it's specifically looking at doing reviews, that sort of thing, not necessarily something involving satire. In essence, again, we like to share, you know, it's whole, the whole part of the freedom of speech things. Not only do we like to make sure our kids are educated, but we also like to make sure that our opinions are heard. And so, the law has thrown in some really cool protections for people that are trying to educate others or trying to do critique of things. In this case, though, keep in mind, I'm looking specifically at doing reviews, that sort of thing. And, of course, and this is a fun one, parody. When you do parody, keep in mind there are some interesting legal wrinkles here and there. Not the least of which is to consider satire versus parody. Actually, let me back up just one step because a lot of people tend to confuse fair use with a profit motive. When it comes down to it, you cannot publish something of somebody else's for free and expect to claim fair use because you weren't planning to make a profit off of it. It doesn't work that way. The entire part of copyright is to make sure that anytime there's a challenge to the possession or ownership of a particular property is that there's a way to, well, challenge that usage. Um, a really good example is how Paramount tends to really protect Star Trek. That is, if somebody puts out something, no matter how cool that thing is, it's going to probably send you a cease and desist letter at some point. That's because part of the copyright law is that the person has to challenge any use of their property that somebody else is doing. Sort of a really weird, uh, really long version of saying that, hey, you try to use Captain Kirk and it's actually as Captain Kirk, 
at that point you're using Paramount Properties. Paramount being you know the person who owns Star Trek. And so start and so at that point Paramount actually does have a right to challenge your use. And to basically say, hey, either take it down or we'll sue you. And even if you're not making a actual profit off of the usage of that Captain Kirk or Spock or McCoy or whatever, you basically either have to take it down or you have to prove that you have a right to use it. And that's usually not as simple as it may sound, especially if you're doing a pretty much straight out use of it. I sort of point this out because you'll, even though you'll see it on, shall we say, certain sites of ill repute, you have a lot of regular people who use it, under, especially in like YouTube videos, that sort of thing, and will claim fair use because they're not making a profit. That's hogwash. The company doesn't see it that way, the law doesn't see it that way, and you should definitely not see it that way. If you're going to use somebody else's image and not pay for it on some level, you need to be aware that just claiming not-for-profit isn't good enough to protect you. It has to be one of the three basic uses of the fair use, which happens to be education, which includes research, or anything else basically that is out there to, well, you know, teach people, critique, in essence, reviews, and of course, parody. Um, and parody is a fun one. But just keep in mind, I'm not trying to be a downer, it's just trying to make sure your butt's covered. And the easy way I can do is tell you is that if you're not doing one of those three basic uses, education, critique, parody, you know, you have no right using the image. And if you get hit with a cease and desist letter, you either take it down or you better be ready to prepare to pay a fine for it. Or more actually, a retroactive licensing. At the very least. So, keep that in mind if you're going to start using other people's images. As far as satire versus parody, this is where things get sort of fun. The problem is that satire and parody have two entirely different uses when it comes to society. That is, while both of them are used to com put a comment onto something, they're not always used to... They're two entirely different works of art. Let's get bloody real. That is, a satire is used to make a point, but at the same time try to tear something down, whereas a parody is more of an adoring, adoring look at something that either is just simply making fun of it and poking fun of it, or is trying to actually build it up by pointing out its weaknesses. So, if you're doing a comedy comic, you're going to definitely want to know the difference between satire and parody, because it's going to be your bread and butter. If, on the other hand, you're doing something a little bit more serious, well, at that point, you're going to seriously want to know what the difference is just so you can have a new literary form to play around with. I sort of pointed it out because if we're, we deal with comics, we're going to be dealing with, say, Penny Arcade, which is obviously parody because, you know, the guys at Penny Arcade absolutely love video games. And so they tend to make a lot of fun of, well, video games. Penny Arcade itself is an obvious reference to that. Um, 
on the other hand we're dealing with comics so we're looking at say Dark Knight Returns or we're looking at Watchmen either case we're looking at something that was definitely hardcore satire obviously there's other examples throughout literary but you know but let's deal with those two uh, Penny Arcade here is basically sh showing a respectful, loving look at, well, video games. They tended to have some real fun parts with it and, you know, take video games apart, put them back together, show how they work, and of course they show the weaknesses, but they don't show these weaknesses because they want to destroy video games or take them down or anything like that. They want to build video games up by making them stronger, by pointing out the weaknesses they hope to show how video games can actually become stronger over time. So, it's a really strong parody of a really fun little, you know, it's a, it's a genre thing. Everybody likes making fun, you know. Galaxy Quest makes fun of Star Trek, but it does so in a respectful, loving way. People can get behind that. Blazing Saddles? Okay, so Blazing Saddles gets a little on the satire side, but generally speaking, and... It basically makes a parody of you know the old westerns, how to make fun of them, what the problems they have with it, but at the same time, it wants to make the westerns a little bit stronger. Of course, it does have some really cool looks at society, but that's fine. Any comedy that doesn't have some sort of look at society at some level is just missing a lot of fun with that. You know, obviously with Penny Arcade. They tend to look at, you know, the abuse you tend to hit on other people and whether or not that's a good or bad thing. We won't talk about the time that Tycho absolutely destroyed Gabe by having him do the Weather Channel game on the new Xbox. You know, by the end of the strip, you know, Tycho introduces him to the Weather Channel, makes it look like it's a game. And by the end of the strip, Gabe is absolutely having problems trying to figure out how... You know, he's pointing out the numbers change, man. The numbers change. And he can't figure it out. And it's driving him freaking nuts. You know, it's a little bit of fun there. And we won't talk about a certain fruit device. Yeah, it's just nasty. But, overall, you know... Peter Kate is looking at the tropes and all the big stereotypes regarding. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Video games. 
how they work or if they don't work and how they can be improved. Um, you know, it also says all the things you want to say about video games, but a lot of us just don't for one reason or another. In essence, it provides a really nice societal use by poking fun at something we all know and love, and by doing so, it hopes to make that particular thing a lot stronger. Satire doesn't. Satire just wants to attack the target, making it look ridiculous, or otherwise, you know, asking the question of why this thing's still around. You know, it tries to make some sort of overwhelming lessons on societal values, and do so so its point is made absolutely clear. On top of that, it wants to show the weaknesses of whatever it's going after in order to essentially take that thing down. Or to change it so much that it's not done in that particular way. Again, here's where we come in with Watchmen. You know, there's absolutely no question that Watchmen showed all the problems in the superhero genre. And it was done at a time when they were starting to look at ways to deconstruct those things so as to explore them and to either figure out what things work and, well, keep doing them, or to figure out which things don't work and to pretty much nuke them. So when you start looking at how the Watchmen is configured in terms of its structure as well as the characters, it's definitely a hardcore satire of the superhero genre as a whole. I mean, obviously you've got the ultra-powerful Superman, you've got the thinker, you've got the blonde bombshell, well not necessarily blonde in this case, but you basically have the ultra-attractive female who's pretty much nothing but a sidekick, and so on and so forth. You know, you've got all that violence that's inherent to the superhero genre, and the Watchmen sort of looking at it and going, this is something that needs to be dealt with. In essence, it's taking some of this, what a lot of people associate with the superhero genre, and asking the honest question of, do we actually need the superhero genre because of what it does? And to a degree, by the end of the co comic, even though it's pretty much asking us, it's pretty much asking us straight up, is this the kind of stuff that you want to con see continued on? Which is probably me being a little bit shallow there, which is sort of a shame because, well, The Watchmen is pretty much a deep comic, but, and we'll definitely have to get into some sort of work on it later on, but, at its heart, it's trying to take on the superhero genre and nuke a lot of things that we're having problems with, you know? We were starting to get heavy into the ultra-violence. Um, there was a lot more sex in it. Obviously, we needed to do something about the Comics Code Authority, which about the time of the Walksman was starting to disappear. Or at least it was starting to become a lot less dominant. I don't think the Comics Code Authority officially got disappeared until almost the 1990s. So... And trust me, the less you know about the Comics Code Authority and the restrictions it placed on comics, the better. It was just a watch me ask a lot of really great questions that needed to be asked. However, at the same time, it was not exactly a love letter to the superhero genre. You know? 
it was basically asking, do we actually need these aspects of the superhero genre? Are they doing anything good? And in general, it was a resounding no. So, you know, at the end of it, ask straight up, do you want this stuff to continue by its use of what happens with Rorschach's journal there at the end? So, it's a really great satire, but here's the fun part. If it had shown any, had a little bit more fun with having way too much fun with characters, that is it, been a little bit more explicit, or for that matter, if the characters hadn't been, that they were actually using, because when you actually analyze it, or straight up, when you look at the Watchmen, you're looking at a lot of the Charleston characters. They couldn't use them in that particular work, so they made a few changes. If DC had not owned the characters, they wouldn't have been able to quite, they would have had to really re-change the characters a lot more than they had. You know, obviously, Dr. Manhattan is a stand-in for Captain Adam, that sort of thing. So, but, the key here is that satire really comes to the fair use doctrine. That's something you need to consider when you're actually starting to do comedy book works. Don't worry, we'll cover a lot of things about comedy here later on, but for now, realize that there's a difference between parody and satire. In that parody, you can actually get away with being a lot more explicit with the characters you're using. Um, Marvel Superb Man, for example, um, is probably the best example in that regard. Superb Man actually belongs to Marvel, as long as he's being used in a um, par parody sense. The basic difference, as far as we're concerned, is that when it comes down to it, both of them take some serious pokes at whatever the source material is. However, whereas parody is trying to do this really cool, we love this thing, we adore this thing, we want to see more of it, satire takes more of a, we need to crush this and get rid of it once and for all type of approach. Both of these are valid, both of these work, and they can both be used effectively. The only difference is that one of them has a lot less a lot fewer problems under the law and that's the parody version so keep that in mind when you start doing right on the edge of making fun of things yeah the other fun thing that needs to be considered is well libel libel is a published statement that essentially damages the reputation of the person being targeted you don't see this a whole lot in web comics or for that matter comics in general however it does need to be brought up and just need to be watched out for. That is, it's, it gets a lot of wonkiness. But when it comes down to it, the question you've got to ask is, are you, you know, if you're going to use a real life person and you're going to poke fun of this person, the big question you've got to ask yourself is, am I making fun of this person in a sense that actually works? And it, it gets sort of weird when we start looking at, say, you know, public versus uh, people who have public identities versus people who keep their identities private. Because we certain we expect, and under the law, we actually expect to see public identities made fun of. Because at some point, it becomes symbolic of whatever it is they're attached to. Uh, Pete Rose, for example, is is associated with baseball. He's also associated with the dangers of gambling, you know, on your team when it comes to baseball. 
So there's a certain degree where you can actually use him as an actual symbol. However, keep in mind that when you start using real life people, you sort of are on the edge. Obviously, the more private the person, the less likely the law is going to look kindly at you using that person as a symbol in a particular instance. However, when you start using people in a negative sense, it's you're sort of hoping in a lot of ways that the person actually doesn't sue you. Because while they're so flabbergasted and it's so being made a point of that, well, if they get to, they take it to court, there's a possibility the jury's going to be against them right off the bat. This is not something you should bank on, however. Keep in mind that if you do decide to go after somebody in your comic, that person can sue you for libel because you effectively have damaged their reputation. Anytime you damage something belonging to somebody else, that person can seek recompensation under the law. So, you know, if you're going to use somebody's likeness, even if you're changing it a little bit or a whole lot, keep in mind that there are some limits you need to be aware of. I'm not saying avoid it completely. I'm just saying that if you do use it, be advised that it can come back on you. And, of course, there we got to look at ownership. Yeah, I know, we've been nice and dry throughout this whole thing. Sorry about that. This is not exactly a topic that lends itself to a whole lot of jokes. Um, ownership is something you need to look at because a lot of people do straight collaborations. Not everybody can draw and that everybody can write. Collaboration obviously allows uh, two people to come together, figure out what their strengths are, and go at it from there. The only problem is that it's a really good idea to figure out what, you know, who owns what before you go into the situation. If you're looking at the writer versus artist, generally speaking, the artist has the all the illustrations and maybe some of the web design. Depends on who does what. The writer obviously is going to have most of the whatever's written in. So, admittedly, it's not always that black and white, and it's really good to figure out what the two of you can do. You know, like if you want to sell comic books on the side, it's going to be really useful to effectively have one person be in charge of that. You're also going to have to figure out a good split. You're going to see a lot of really fun arguments on how to split the funds of something like that. But I advise personally go 50-50. I know the artist is going to make a legitimate argument that they're probably doing a lot more of the physical labor, so to speak. But the writer is also doing a lot of their own lifting. On top of that, the writer is also probably going to end up doing a lot of the marketing, even if it's on accident. On top of that, if you really want to be a jerk about it, when it comes, there's got to keep in mind the old saying that whereas the art will bring people in, everybody will stay for the writing. You know, in essence, when it comes down to it, there's sort of a, you know, both sides reasonably equal as far as the success of the comic. And that has to be allowed for. This isn't to say that you change that 
thing. Like, for example, if you're the artist and you've got a lot of experience and you're bringing a lot of reputation to it versus a new writer, hey, you want to make a 75-25 argument in your favor? Go for it. You just have to figure out something that works for both of you. You don't want to get just exposure from this. You actually want, ideally, to get something from it. I mean, you're putting a lot of effort into something that you're doing for free. That makes no sense. So at least try to get something out of it. And, you know, like I said, go for at least a 50-50. And this applies to the writer as well, by the way. If the writer's coming in with a huge reputation, a lot of followers on Facebook and Twitter, I don't care how famous the artist is, if all the artist is bringing into it is straight fame, hey, the artist, the writer can actually make a legitimate argument for the split to be in his favor as well. Again, you're going to have to figure out something that works well for both of you, and it's important to figure out how you're going to share the profits before you even set down, plus what specific rights, if the collaboration dissolves, who gets to take what. So, obviously you're going to probably end up being split some of this stuff over time, for example, royalties off a comic that keeps coming in. But that's something you're going to have to work out. I advise doing this like you would any prenuptial agreement before a marriage. You know, figure out who has what and figure out what this financial split is. This isn't to say these things can't be renegotiated over time. It's just that, well, you know, it just happens to help really good and have it in writing before you even get going. I don't care if this is a couple emails so on and so forth as long as you basically have agreed you know so just protect yourself um, another issue that's going to come up when it comes to ownership is licensing and I'm not talking the two of you get together and decide you're going to license it off to a toy company so the toy company can make all really cool sorts of uh, toys off the idea rather what I'm looking at is that a lot of web com- comic sites, uh, Mac Jeeves, Drunk Duck, so on and so forth, tend to have what they call a right to publish. All that means is that you still own the rights. Everything about the ownership is still yours, however you've defined it, you know. But the website is taking on the rights of publishing this to the world. And it needs to basically state, hey, somewhere in its, you know, its end user agreement that, hey, we're going to take your work, we're going to spread it across the world, and, you know, we have to make our own little profit off of it, fine. You know, this is where the advertisement from the website itself comes in. Or, you know, advertising on the main page, or so on and so forth, it's that site still needs to make its own profit and if it's got a really cool property it's going to use the heck out of that property unless something else is brought up so keep in mind that we're not talking that if it says it it effectively has ownership for the sake of publication it means exactly that if Smack Jeeves is publishing well since it does publish everywhere let's say it has problems in China, that means that China will come down first on Smack Jeeves and will only come down on you later on unless you're doing something really bad. 
well, okay, see libel earlier on. But the key here is that a website company saying it own, oh, has ownership for the sake of publication isn't a bad thing, and they're not subsuming your rights. They're just saying that for the purpose of the publication, they're going to act as the owner, and everybody else is going to treat them as that owner as long as it's only for the sake of being published in that particular area. Yeah, it's one of those really cool myths you see pop up all over the place. Um, if you go Facebook, for example, Facebook also assumes ownership for the right of publication. So do a lot of discussion boards, that sort of thing. Admittedly, what you still what you put on them is still yours. You still own the rights. And if Facebook decided to say make a book of all their favorite memes, and one of those memes happens to be yours you obviously would be able to sue for copyright infringement. So, you know, it's just one of those really weird things where you need to keep in mind, go through the end user agreement to any site you look for and go over with a fine-tooth tone. You want to make sure that you can maintain your ownership, that you maintain control over the, the property, so on and so forth. I mean, I know a lot of people tend to look at the end-user agreements and totally ignore them nine times out of ten. But you're going to want to look at those things hardcore for yourself. At least skim over it real quick to see who owns the ownership rights, that sort of thing. You know, protect yourself. Pretty much basic. I mean, other than that, you know, doing a real quick summary of what I just said. Well, let's do it two ways. The obvious thing is, make sure your thing is copyrighted if at all possible. Poor man's copyright, mailing it to yourself, does not work. Again, anybody who says it does, is a bloody moron and should be ignored like the idiot they are. There's absolutely no reason for that kind of ignorance in this day and age. I mean, the copyright office itself Nails these PMC in its own FAQ. It's so, uh, yeah. Poor man's copyright. Bad. Don't do. Um, fair use. Education, critique, parody. Cool. Claiming, claiming not for profit status to uh, make it look like you're using it under fair use? You deserve anything you get. Yes, I mean, any lawsuit, any court-ordered compensation that you have to pay to the person you've just ticked off, uh, cease and desist order, so on and so forth. If you're going to claim not-for-profit, yeah, I'm telling you straight up, don't do it. It only makes you look like an idiot, and it may look you make, it's one of those things that may make you look cool to your friends, but does absolutely nothing good for you in the long run. It's sort of like smoking in that regard. Libel. Don't say bad stuff about other people unless you figure out a way to get away with it. You want to parody the person? Great. You want to satirize the person? You could be in for a world of hurt. But the bottom line here is, and I say, keep in mind, there's a sliding scale here. The more public the person, the more abuse that's going to be labeled onto that person because they're going to be seen as more of a symbol than the actual person. This is not to say that this is a singular protection, but, you know, keep that in mind. 
you know, if you said something, somebody said something bad about you, and you had the person to sue that person into oblivion, would you do it? Just ask yourself that before you say something about bad about somebody else, or for that matter, good. You've got some people who really do not like seeing themselves and consider any use of their image to be liable. You know, just a word of advice. Ownership. You know, again, creating a webcomic is like marriage. Just like in marriage, a prenup is not a bad idea. And again, don't get too bent out of shape if somebody is pointing out they have ownership for the sake of publication. That ensures that you're getting published in a lot of weird places that you wouldn't consider. Again, you want to exercise control if you can, but make sure you read those end-user agreements. So, again, don't trust my word advice. I will be the last person to tell I will give you... I'm just here to give advice. My advice has no legal standing whatsoever. Using my words in a court of law will get you laughed at and if I happen to be on the jury stand heck if I'm in the peanut gallery I'll laugh with them because I am not a lawyer I'm just somebody with a personal opinion on a lot of stuff and that does not mean I can practice law it just means I can do things like this and you know sum up stuff and say hey this is how stuff has been decided in the past Obviously, if you're serious, hardcore about this, you will be getting the actual legal advice. You'll be checking out the copyright office, the trademark office, and heck, if you're really paranoid, you know, hold, putting a lawyer on retainer. None of these are bad things. So, again, just protect yourself. Bottom line. Don't be ignorant of the law. Check it down yourself. If you don't believe me, and trust me, there's a lot of reasons not to believe me. So, just use this as a step stone, not as the end rock, so to speak. So, good luck, and enjoy yourselves while, you do, while you're creating your comics. Talk to you later.